This morning's reading is from Genesis 28, 10 through 17. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Well, um, this weekend, I get a chance to go backpacking with my youngest daughter. And uh, I haven't had this on in a while. I noticed that the hip belt doesn't quite fit like it used to. Um, They tell you in backpacking school or in books that you you want 80% of the weight on your hips and only 20% on the shoulders, which you learn the first time you go backpacking and 100% of the weight is on your shoulders. But anyways, the hip belt with the microphone, anyway, just use your imagination. So... um, so we're kind of going to go camping today, and uh, as we're getting ready for this trip this weekend, it's the perfect timing in the Jacob story because Jacob goes camping. Not only does Jacob camp for this story, but Jacob spends a lot of his time camping. And uh, you'll probably remember where the story is at this point. Jacob's not camping because he's just had too much of the office, and he needs a nice, fresh breath of the outdoors and wants to see the Milky Way like the rest of us. But Jacob is camping because he's on the run. I mean, he's truly a fugitive. Jacob has uh, burned some bridges and he's in a tough spot. And only thanks to his mother is he getting out with his life. Uh, We know Esau has already said, he's already plotted. He said, as soon as my dad is dead, I'm killing my brother. Because we know this story took some bad turns and Jacob is deceived in the whole bit. So Jacob has left in his fugitive state 
And think about all the baggage that he carries with him on his little camping trip. Jacob has lied to his father. Uh, he has taken the Lord's name in vain. He's, he's said that God did something in his life just to trick his dad and his brother. He's uh, cheated his father, and he's cheated his brother, and he's made his brother want to kill him, and he had to run away. He had to leave. So Jacob is in this place where he's run away and, and he's going places he's never gone before. Now, remember Jacob from the story last week? He's kind of a softy. You know, he's not the outdoors guy. He's not Esau. He doesn't know what it's like out in the woods. He doesn't know what it's like out in the desert. You know, he hasn't made a trip like this before. So he's headed north and he is already at the place we find him in the story. He's further than he's ever been in his life. He's further from home than he's ever been. And he's in a place that he does not know. So I would imagine that even the coyotes howling at night and those kind of things going to be a little scary for Jacob. He's not used to being away from home in this way. Jacob carries a lot with him, uh, like many of us do on our journey and on our, in our traveling adventures. We realize that we carry a lot with us when we're in our fugitive states. And so Jacob uh, is, is traveling along and he reaches a point where it's sunset, it's too dark to continue, and so he makes camp there. That's how arbitrary the place is. It's a nowhere place. Jacob sets up his tent, and he sets up his little campsite, and it's such a wonderful five-star hotel-type place that he finds a rock for a pillow. So I don't know what Tempur-Pedic sleep number that is, but it's not really great. And so he's, he's in a very liminal, marginal state, and he's got a rock for his pillow, and he falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, something very surprising happens. Something very miraculous happens. Jacob sees things that he has never seen before, and he is reminded of things that he's forgotten. And that's what this story is about today. <laughs> Have you ever been in a place like that where you're vulnerable and you know you're vulnerable, everybody around you knows you're vulnerable, um, and there's shame attached to everything that you're leaving in your wake? We, we find ourselves in these calculating moments where we're trying to make sense, we're writing stories in our head for everything that we're going to tell all the people that we see as to why we're on the run and why we could have done things differently and how we should have done things differently and all that stuff. But as Jacob goes to sleep, he begins to dream. And you know, our dreams, if we were to take a survey of what our dreams were about last night, we would have, we would just be laughing in hilarity and we would be, we would be shocked because our dreaming, you know, it's the subconscious, it's our bodies, our minds are trying to process stuff that we don't have time to process in our normal days. And so we dream all kinds of crazy stuff and we can't ever make sense of them. And sometimes psychologists try to make sense of them for us. And we're thinking, you know, you're really the one that's crazier than my dreams or whatever. But anyways, you know, dreams are very subjective for us. In the Bible, though, dreams more often than not are God communicating a message to us through patriarchs in this case through people and so this is a very objective dream where God is the one holding the reins and working through Jacob's dream so as he dreams behold and when the Bible uses this word behold you know that it's serious business and in this story alone this word happens four times behold 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 Jacob sees a stairway he sees a ramp 
It's the same Hebrew word for highway. He sees this highway and at the bottom where it connects to the earth and at the top it connects to heaven. And he sees that there's traffic on this highway. And it's these messengers, it's these aides that God sends, these messengers on a mission from God that we call angels. And here's God standing above all of this and he's there. Just a little side note on angels, by the way. Uh, angels in the Bible, as you know, are not the little winged, floody, flurry creatures that we see in the Hallmark catalogs, right? The, the angels have feet. That's why they're walking on the stairway up and down, right? If, if, it, if it, they didn't need a stairway, the, the, the wings would be okay. But we know, so angels are human-like creatures. They can be mistaken for human beings. Remember Hebrews in chapter 13, where you know, we realize in our work as Christians that all this, there are times we realize that we have entertained angels and we didn't even know it, that we've been involved in God's messengers, with God's messengers, and we didn't even realize what was happening. They can be mistaken for human beings so easily. And so that's what's happening in God is bringing his presence to Jacob in a way that doesn't kill Jacob. Thanks be to God, when God is present to us, he does it in a way that we can handle. If we, if we were to experience the fullness of, of the presence of God, we would all die and we couldn't survive. So this mediated way that God is with us is such a gift and it's such a gift to Jacob. But not only does Jacob see things and his eyes are open to the fact that there's possible, that heaven is a possibility. You remember those times in life where you, you realize that heaven's possible and, and then, but God begins to speak. And so God opens his mouth and begins to speak. And he says, I am Yahweh. I am God Almighty. This is the first time in the scriptures that this phrase is used. Many, many times it will happen after, but this is the first time that God says, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh, and I am with you, and I will keep you, and I will bring you home to this land in the end. You know, what else do you want to hear when you're a fugitive on the run? I am your God. I am with you. I will keep you. It's the shepherding language. I'll tend to you. I'll take care of you. And when this is all said and done, I'm going to bring you home. You will come back to this place, and I will not forget you, Jacob. And so in this exchange, this nowhere place where Jacob is becomes a holy place. And Jacob awakes from his sleep and says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I had no idea. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know. When it comes to being the people of God, it's so important for us to remember that much is happening that we do not see. Much is happening that we do not see, even in, and sometimes especially in, nowhere places. God is at work. And so God visits Jacob with this very intimate reminder that God's purposes are still on track. That Jacob's frankly, his stupidity and even his deception have not derailed God's mission to bless the world through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to bring people back into harmony with the living God through a chosen people, which Jacob is still amazingly a part of. And so he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. There is a possibility, Jacob realizes, for him to meet with the living God. A place between heaven and earth, so to speak. 
It's that kind of a place. It's a reminder that heaven is not closed off like we tend to imagine, that heaven is too far away, that God is so far away. And if you're Jacob, this is extremely good news. God does not appear to Jacob in this dream, we remember, because of his good behavior or his charismatic incantation. You know, he didn't offer the perfect God show up in my dreams prayer the night before, but rather because of God's goodness and God's promise, which will not be deterred even by our most careless attempts to do so. The promises to Abraham and Isaac still apply to Jacob, and they still apply to us. Thanks be to God. And so Jacob recognizes that this is a sacred place. And his response, and he names, he said, this is the very house of God, Bethel. Bet being the Hebrew word for house, El being the word for God, Bethel. Or what we say in Texas, Bethel, you know, Bethel. That's how we say it. But anyway, it's the place, the house of God. That's what it means. That's what Jacob names it. This is the very house of God. And so Jacob, in his excitement and in his fear and in his youth, frankly, his immaturity and his faith, he takes a stab at it. He hears everything that God makes covenant about. And, okay, I realize all of a sudden the promises aren't lost. I'm still part of the tribe thing. You're still going to east and west and north and south, and the whole thing's still going to happen, and it's going to be okay. And we see this fulfilled in the life of Jacob and his children, and it's still going to be good. And so Jacob musters a response. And Jacob's response is... It's a great vow. You know, we read it. It's a really great thing that Jacob offers. He says, gosh, um, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come again to my father's house in peace to this place, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you, God. It's a, it's a wonderful prayer. It's a wonderful response. And it's, it's, full, it's very full-hearted in one sense that Jacob is going for it. He says, I'm, I've got to make some adjustments. I have to meet God's covenant here that he's making with me. I have to make a vow too. But in Jacob's immaturity or in Jacob's recovery or wherever Jacob is, in his vulnerability and not having a whole lot of times to you know, move forward in this way, you'll notice that Jacob uses, all the English teachers will notice the if then clause, right? The if, Jacob starts the whole thing with if, and if these things happen, then I will, then I will do these things. So essentially God is making a covenant with Jacob, and Jacob kind of wants to enter into a contract with God, right? The covenant meaning I'm going to do what I'm going to do regardless of what you do. God says I will, I will do this, and that's the way it's going to happen. And Jacob over here going, I'm going to do this if you follow through on your side of things. And that's a very familiar thing for us as we're learning to relate to God. It's natural for us to say, okay, God, if you'll get me through this deal and you'll work through this like you promised, and if you'll, you know, it, those things, I'm your guy. If you'll follow through on your end and I, once I see it, I'm there. Uh, and so, you know, I don't, this is not a, it, this doesn't lack faith. Uh, I mean, it does lack faith. It's not a faithless response, but it's not a full-throated Full, fully faithful response that Jacob gives. And I think we can understand and appreciate that. This is how we learn to pray. This is how we learn to relate to God. You know, God meets us in a special way and we, we didn't even expect it at all. And God shows up in a special way 
and we are just trying to respond to that and people help us. We go tell somebody else, you know, I had the stream or I was at camp and this thing happened or I was at my desk and I was working on a spreadsheet and all of a sudden I just had the clearest picture that God was trying to tell me this and I, I just need to tell somebody about that. I need to process that and figure out what in the world's going on here. It's a familiar story to us. And we say, gosh, we have wandered so far away. We have wandered and we are fugitives and God is so far away. God must be thinking this about me. God, I had my chances and I've messed it up. And we always tend to think, how will I ever return home? How will I ever right the ship? How will I ever get back to the place, to that house of God kind of place? How will I ever meet with God again in the way that I know that I want to and I was created to? But here we are, we're stuck on this eternal camping trip and we're wandering around with rocks for pillows. That's how we feel, much of life. And the great news of the gospel is what we find as we cry out in that way is that God responds with a word that is even more intimate than Jacob's heavenly dream. If we fast forward to the first chapter of John's gospel, do you remember the introduction? In the beginning was the Word. And then a little bit later, and the Word became flesh, an eskinosin, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh, an eskinosin. Eskinosin literally means God became human and set up his tent among us. God came to our campsite. He came to our places where we have temporarily scratched together our little dwellings and set up our tents and our rocks for pillows. And God, rather than remaining far away, he becomes flesh and he sets up his tent among us. And so home for us is not a place over in the ancient Near Eastern world. It's not Bethel. A place, the home for us, is the place where Christ is. It's the place where Christ became like us, that we might become like him. That's the gospel. That's the news that we carry so close to our hearts and our fugitive state. Uh, may we experience the goodness of God with us. May we remember that we are not alone. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.